Well, a few weeks back, we did an episode on a fellow named Bob Lilly, and Bob had fallen in love with long-distance riding, in particular the Iron Butt Rally. And one of the things that we discussed with Bob was fatigue and dealing with fatigue as a long-distance rider, because that's really the main problem with long-distance riding is fatigue, other than maybe stopping to fuel your bike. And after doing that episode, I I sort of got to thinking about that whole long-distance riding and fatigue. And it made me think about a a friend of mine from many years ago. I got my license for motorcycle riding when I was quite young. And a few years later, my good buddy Greg also got his license and he began to ride a sport bike. About the same time, he moved away. And so he's a couple hours away. And what he would do is he would use this sport bike as, you know, an interesting and fuel efficient way to zip back and forth between his new home and his old home to visit his old friends. About a two hour ride from one place to the other. And basically the, the road that was the most sensible to take was the highway because every, every other road would just take so long. This highway was a multi-lane highway, um, not real developed, but where it went through the developed areas, there's a couple of developed areas. It went into, you know, four lanes in either direction, but most of it was two lanes in either direction with uh, a meridian down the center. And, um, it's basically a boring ride. It was a relatively long, straight highway um, with few opportunities to stop. None, really, because there were no roadside pullouts. There were no gas stations or coffee shops. If you wanted to stop, you just pulled over on the side of the road. If you wanted to go to a coffee shop or you needed fuel, you had to actually get off the highway and go find you know, a gas station or coffee shop down another road. So one night, he's on his way home. He's riding his motorcycle. He fell asleep and he crashed. He was turning on to the off-ramp, and uh, he just rode straight off the road. Now, lucky for Greg, he was okay. I mean, in, in the big scheme of things, he had a hurt pride and a badly damaged bike and, and bruised and scratched up. But otherwise, he's really unscathed. And I can still remember him telling me the story. And I, I asked him, you know, how did it happen? And he said, I fell asleep. I, I just couldn't understand. I, I said to him, I don't understand how you can fall asleep riding a motorcycle. And I'll tell you, the significance of what he said next didn't really hit me until many years down the road. The rest of the story is coming up next. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Dress Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire and bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method, and the Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio, made in the USA, and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as their top pick in a compressor shakedown. Their website, www.cyclepump.com. I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lanfear. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Ross. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. Carol DeBell. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 
Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com So my friend Greg had fallen asleep, he crashed his bike, and he was now trying to explain to me how it happened. After telling me he fell asleep, I told him I couldn't understand how he could do that and ride a bike. And the significance of what he said next didn't hit me till many years later. He said to me, he didn't even know he was tired. He said, one minute I was on my bike, and the next I was rolling across a field. He didn't know he was fatigued until it was too late. And I remember thinking... How is that possible? Well, there's a fair bit of data on motorcycle crashes and fatigue done in Australia. And one article from the Motorcycle Council of New South Wales deals with fatigue and the differences between rider fatigue and driver fatigue. And this is one of the things they talk about. And it says that the fatigued driver may drift across a road in a microsleep, whereas a fatigued rider may be quite alert but crash on a curve while overtaking due to an error of judgment. They go on to say that it could be that some motorcycle crashes that are assumed to be due to excessive speed may in fact be the result of poor judgment and loss of attention due to fatigue. Well, that was my friend Greg. He wasn't aware of the signs of fatigue until it was too late, until he actually fell asleep while he was riding. Another point the article makes is that often rider fatigue is from physical exhaustion, more likely than boredom, which you experience in a car. Because it's far more physically and mentally demanding riding the motorcycle than it is driving the car. But in the car, you're more likely to fall asleep from boredom. This article from the Motorcycle Council of New South Wales has a list of fatigue symptoms for drivers and riders, and you'd be surprised at the differences between the two. And by the way, these lists that I'm reading to you right now, they're going to be in our show notes. So you can just go to our website, look at the show notes and read through these. And I really advise that you do that. Also, the link to this article is in there. It says, a driver may experience drowsiness, yawning, slow reactions, sore or tired eyes, boredom, feeling irritated and restless, making fewer and larger steering corrections, missing road signs, having difficulty in staying in a lane and having micro sleeps. Yet for us motorcyclists, we're more likely to have symptoms like joint and muscle stiffness, pain or weakness in the hands and feet, loss of concentration, slow or impaired judgment and reactions. That's really interesting. A while back, we spoke with four people about how they dealt with fatigue while riding long distances. And today we have that for you again. We've got a scientist, a Dakar racer, a multi-world record-holding long-distance rider, and a very well-traveled pillion. All together to give you top tips on staying alert and sharp while you ride.
Well, now we're going to start into our list of tips and tricks to make your riding a better experience, to make you a better rider, really. And we're going to start off with Sam Marcora. Now, Sam is a motorcyclist, but he's also the director of research at Kent University in the UK. And in 2013, Sam studied fatigue in motorcycle riders during a three-month ride from London to Beijing. And he also studied the effects of caffeine on fatigue and on us as motorcycle riders. Now, Sam has some great information here, and he's also got some new information that I'm sure you have not heard anywhere else. A way that you can use caffeine to your benefit that you would not have thought of before. Sam, great to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, most of us have experienced some form of fatigue when riding our bikes, and we can relate to that feeling. But I wanted to ask you in particular, what is fatigue really? Like, what's happening to our body? Well, it depends um, what you mean by fatigue. There are two main kinds of fatigue that can affect um, anybody, but also a motorbike rider. Um, I guess the most important for motorbike riders is what we call mental or, or cognitive fatigue. So basically, it's the effect of prolonged mental activity and of course riding a motorbike especially off-road or in in challenging environments like we often find in uh, during adventure motorcycling you know like a busy traffic with crazy people like coming out of from everywhere without looking um you have to uh, you know pay attention to things and and and, and exact uh, control over your bike for a prolonged period of time and that's that fatigues your brain, and we call that mental or cognitive fatigue. And and basically, the main uh, negative effect is that two main ones. One is a direct effect on how quickly you can recognize uh, stimuli in the environment. For example, like a, a danger, as I said, you know, a crazy guy coming off a junction without looking, and how quickly you react to uh, that danger or that um, stimuli in the environment. So that could be really the difference between, you know, uh, life and death or a crash. So it's pretty important. Um, in the context of kind of more social, like when you are dealing with um, either, you know, if you go out on, uh, as a group or your wife, <laughs> if it's on the back, or even when you have to deal with the locals or with the, you know, border guards that kind of drive you crazy. But another um, effect of mental fatigue is on your ability to control your emotions. So you become, you know, everybody has, knows this. When we are tired, we are less able to control our our emotion, but also our behavior. So we may, you know, um, behave in a in a uh, not appropriate way simply because we are fatigued. Um, so I think that the first one is called cold cognition. And the second one in science is called hot cognition, which has to do more with emotions. But obviously both aspects of mental fatigue, uh, you know, can affect um, your trip. Um, so I think that it's, uh, it's, it's very important. Um, the other kind of, uh, of fatigue uh, that can affect um, adventure motorbike riders, especially the ones that do a lot of off-road riding, is uh, what we call muscle fatigue which is basically the a weakening of the muscle induced by prolonged use of those muscles. So if you if you stand on your bike for a prolonged period of time, you have to you know balance your bike and, and ride your bike using your legs um, and also you know keep your back in the correct position and you know uh, uh, obstacles, all these kind of things, you may actually develop fatigue in those muscles. 
Yeah, especially when you're you're riding a lot of dirt sections, you're standing on your pegs. I think most people who have done that or does that a lot can feel it. That's the sort of fatigue I think that's really easy to relate to. The mental fatigue one is is um is kind of a bizarre thing because quite often you you find yourself feeling tired and you pull over and you think, well, I'm not tired. As soon as I I pull over. I'm, a, I'm awake. So so let me ask you, what does it do to our brain? Like what's actually going on with that? Because if I could understand why my brain gets tired, is there not some sort of way that I can make sure that I exercise it so it doesn't get tired? Yeah, I mean, we're quite limited in what we can actually measure in humans um, and also in, in terms of mental fatigue. Um, and we're also limiting what we can measure in an animal models <laughs> uh, in terms of cognitive function. So it's quite actually a difficult thing to, to study. But what uh, seems to be the most um, likely uh, culprit, if you like, uh, for mental fatigue is the accumulation of a substance called adenosine. So the brain um, it's made up of neurons, which are the, the cells that make up the central nervous system. So these neurons, and uh, we have you know billions of them in the brain with all the connections, when they are very active, especially if they're active for a prolonged period of time, like you know, the neurons, if you like, in simple terms, the neurons that are devoted to pay attention to the road, put it this way, um, will be activated for a prolonged period of time when you're riding. And when they're activated for a prolonged period of time, they produce a substance that is called adenosine. Uh, and this substance is um, produced and exported outside the neuron. And then what happens when it accumulates outside the neuron, it can binds back to the neuron and makes the neuron less uh, active. Basically, <laughs> adenosine makes the cells that make up your brain tired, fatigued. So you can actually measure this in the neuron cells. The hypothesis is there is some sort of protective mechanism. So then to avoid your uh, neurons running out of um, uh, ATP, which is a, a molecule that, put, uh, that kind of uh, serves to produce energy in any cell, including the neurons. Uh, so to avoid a complete depletion of this energy within the cell, the cell becomes fatigued. So it's, it's kind of some sort of a protective mechanism at cellular level. The problem that has these negative effects on your reaction time, your ability to control behavior, et cetera, et cetera, as I just said. So adenosine seems to be the key molecule, uh, the key mechanism for these changes within the brain. So to say our brain is fatigued or we're mentally fatigued almost isn't really that descriptive, is it, for really what's going on? Because you, you think of fatigue, I think in a general sense, is something's getting tired. But in this case, it's being overcome with a chemical. So we, there's no way we can actually prepare for that, is there? Well, no, there are, there are um, two things you can do. One, of course, um, is to, for example, in terms of preparation for a, for a, for a trip, if you're not very good in, uh, you know, if you're not a confident rider, if you don't have much experience riding, you will have to exert much more kind of mental effort in order to um, to be safe and or to ride well, you know, off-road, both on the road. So that makes basically riding more difficult. And if, if riding is more difficult and you requ it requires um, less automatic reaction and you have to put more kind of attention in what you do, this would be more fatiguing. Uh, over the same period of time uh, compared to a rider that, uh, you know, is, is kind of as more kind of experience and a lot of um, actions are become automatic. So 
I think it's obviously it's it's a good uh, advice <laughs> is to you know to do some like you know most riders do anyway is to do a, a, a good training before you go because that will help you become less fatigued especially at the beginning of the trip. I think even if you start without much training, you know after a while you cannot you learn on the road. So I guess uh, um, it, it becomes um, uh, not so bad. Uh, but you know prepare in terms of making yourself a better rider will help you reduce the fatigue during the uh, the expedition during the trip however uh, even experienced riders get fatigue anyway especially if they uh, you know ride for a prolonged period of time and what you can do which is related to the this adenosine mechanism that i was just telling you about is obviously as i said in the previous um, episode is caffeine because what caffeine does it cannot shut the door to uh, adenosine. It cannot blocks adenosine from affecting the neurons. It's it's literally, it, it cannot bind the receptor in which adenosine usually attaches. So adenosine cannot interact with the neurons and therefore cannot have the fatiguing effect on the neuron. So obviously um, caffeine is a, a very good way to reduce fatigue during the ride the same is with um, if you can uh, napping so uh, when you sleep uh, what happens is uh, that you kind of um, reabsorb this adenosine actually this is why some people think that uh, sleep is needed that we accumulate this adenosine during the day because our neurons are active and then during this during sleep we let, let this um, uh, substance this adenosine to be kind of re, uh, reabsorbed and reducing level um, so a, a, a nap is also a good uh, way to reduce fatigue can i give you something that it sounds kind of contradictory but i think could be a very very good tip sure because the problem with napping is that when you wake up if you slept only for 20, 30 minutes, this is kind of the duration of a nap that is enough to have uh, significant positive effects on your cognitive abilities. The problem is that when you wake up, especially if you have to kind of start riding, you know, uh, immediately or very soon after you wake up, you have a different problem, which is called sleep inertia, <laughs> which is kind of, you know, when you're kind of a bit groggy, a bit, you're not 100% because you're still waking up <laughs> and you are kind of half asleep and half, half awake. So in order to facilitate or to reduce this uh, sleep inertia, which in itself, you know, can be a bad thing. You know, if you have a nap and then you go on a bike, uh, you, you may have, you know, for several, uh, depends, on, in, depends on different people, but it can last several minutes. You may actually be in this state of sleep inertia, and then you become vulnerable, for example, to have an accident because you won't be able to react very quickly. So what you can do, actually, is to drink, for example, take caffeine, let's say drink a coffee or a couple of coffees before the nap. And a lot of people think, oh, my God, this is crazy, right? It's kind of counterproductive. Actually, it takes about 30 to 60 minutes before the caffeine, when you drink a coffee, before the caffeine reaches maximum level in your in your body in your blood it takes up to an hour uh, in most people so if you take it just before the nap you won't be negatively affected you can still have a nap and when you wake up you have the caffeine circulating which will help you to uh, basically get out of the nap very quickly and get on your bike and, and be you know as um, rested and, and alert as possible 
So this is, I think, a, it's a good tip that not many people know about. Yeah, that is a great tip. Wow, I, I would I would have thought the same thing. I think if you're going to drink a cup of coffee, you're not going to go to bed or not going to go for a quick sleep, but um, that could be a perfect setup for you. Yeah, it, I mean, you shouldn't get a, um, um, coffee before going to bed because the, the plan then is to sleep for, you know, seven, sure. eight hours. Yeah. But if you're taking a nap, you're planning only to, you're going to set up like an alarm or something that you're going to wake up after half an hour, let's say. Yeah. I mean, you, 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 you don't need a nap longer than an hour, you know, 20 to one hour is plenty. And so you, you will set up your alarm um, in 20, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever. So is the caffeine won't have the time to disturb your, your nap. But absolutely, if you want to sleep well in the night, try to avoid caffeine at least three, four hours before you go to bed, even more, depending on how sensitive you are to caffeine. This adenosine that forms around our cells, uh, it dissipates when we lessen our brain activity. Is that how it works? Yeah, doing sleep. So even just when we stop, we get off our motorcycle, we walk around, that helps dissipate this? Yeah, if you're relaxing and if you're not concentrating or thinking too hard, yes. But sleep uh, would be the best way to, uh, to reduce it or caffeine to block it. People have a deterioration in cognitive performance, usually even before they, they, they feel tired. So it's, it's a good thing to uh, kind of prevent it. But having said that, I mean, if you feel tired, you should definitely do something about it because it means your, your performance is already kind of... Uh, below the danger zone if you actually feel that you're tired. So um, I would definitely do something about it, like a nap or take uh, some caffeine. And when I talk about caffeine, I'm not just talking about, you know, a small coffee. I mean, you should have, in order to have a, a, a you know, a serious effect, you, you need to have, we say three milligrams per kilo body weight. So for somebody who weighs about 85 kilos, which is, I think, something like, I don't know, 200 pounds or something like that, um, which is would be the average um, American man, I guess, uh, you need the equivalent of um, three, three cups of, of coffee. So it's, and you can have that obviously as, a, as coffee, or you can also have it as, you know, pills or chewing gums. There are some interesting uh, chewing gums around. So you can have caffeine many different ways. doesn't really matter which way you get it. Um, I mean, there are some people that don't like coffee. Uh, you, you can get it in, in pills that don't taste anything. You just, you know, put them down with some water. And it, it regardless of the form of caffeine, it will work in the same way. Or one of those energy drinks that seems to be so popular with young kids nowadays. Yeah, the problem with those that contain a lot of glucose, and contrary to kind of uh, common belief, actually, glucose is not that important for mental fatigue. Of course, if you get really, really low with glucose, but that's not normal, um, you will have some cognitive uh, impairment. But if you have just a normal diet, that's enough to maintain your glucose levels at uh, at a normal level. Actually, those energy drinks, it, because they have so much sugar and it's kind of a simple sugar, they're absorbed very quickly. So you have a spike in sugar, but you may actually have a, a less than normal sugar, like a, an hour later, um, which will may actually have a negative effect. So the good thing is to maintain basic sugar level constant, neither too high, neither too low. So in, in a normal diet, it's enough to do that. Um, so if I had to take a lot of caffeine, I'd rather get it without too much sugar. 
Let me just jump back to what you said just a minute ago when you were saying that when you feel tired, you're already past the point, like you're actually, your body has already started exhibiting, although unbeknownst to you, exhibiting signs of at least lessened cognitive function. Yeah. If I did measure your um, reaction time, like with the kind of test that I used during my expedition, it's called a psychomotor vigilance test. So you have this random stimuli, you have to um, respond as quick as possible. Even before you feel, really feel tired, I, I could measure some reduction in, um, in reaction time. So as far as a motorcyclist goes, if you start feeling tired, it's not time to think, how tired am I? You're already past the point. It's time to get off the road. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, because I think uh, that's what a lot of people do is they ride along and they think oh, I'm tired and, and you know, I'll, I'll wake myself up. I'll, you know, change lanes or something like that. But really, that's your indicator. Get off the road. Yeah, get off the road, get a coffee. And, and uh, you know, it's uh, maybe, you know, if you're really, really tired, you may want to take a, a quick nap um, with a, a cup of coffee before that or, or two cups of coffee before that. And then you off you go. If you know, for example, that you're going to ride um, for many, many hours or maybe even into the night, um, you may take the caffeine uh, before you feel tired so that you don't get to that point. What's the downside of caffeine? Is there any downside? Because I know when we talked before, I, I was so excited when we, we talked before about it. I thought, yes, you know, now caffeine is good for me and I can walk around with that idea in my head. What's the downside? Actually, on the uh, especially because a lot of adventure motorbike riders are kind of middle-aged and maybe a little bit overweight and stuff. Actually, there is some good research showing, for example, that uh, not so much caffeine, coffee, uh, which is the main form of caffeine anyway for most people um, actually it's good for example to prevent diabetes to prevent uh, alzheimer actually there is a lot of research going on showing that actually coffee as uh, some even at you know at, at levels that before people thought you know it's, uh, it's too much um up to you know 10 cups a day it actually has no negative effects and possibly some positive effects on your health and indeed the guidelines that just came out for um, the dietary guidelines for Americans, they revised the you know recommendation for amount of coffee. They increase it quite a lot. Ten it's, cups. That's a lot. There are some studies showing that you don't get any increase in uh, you know uh, disease or with even up to ten cups of coffee a day. I think now the recommended amount is up to uh, four or five cups a day. Easy, but there are some there are some issues which actually can be important too. First of all, do not, especially if you're if thinking about taking, you know, a quite high dose of caffeine, try in advance. Don't try, you know, before you go on the trip. And, and find basically the dose that gives you the positive effects in terms of fatigue, but doesn't make you too uh, kind of fidgety and, and everything else. Uh, because people have different sensitivities. kind of uh, seems to be genetic. So people have genetically different. So some people are more sensitive to caffeine than others. And and the main side effects, if you take excessive amount, which is actually one of the reasons why athletes take it, again, in lay terms, um, speeds up your kind of nerve transmission speed, if you like. So it makes your um, uh, neurons, including the neurons that make up the nerves that go from the spine to your muscles, more excitable, basically, more sensitive uh, to excitable commands. So you may develop some sort of mismatch between the motor command, we call it, that your brain sends to the muscle and how quickly the muscle reacts. 
and you're not used to it, you know, screwing up your coordination because the muscle will contract quicker than uh, you're used to. Uh, but to be honest, this happens only when you have very high doses of caffeine. And if, especially when you take it, if you're not already uh, fatigued. Sam, what are some recommendations you have for things that we can do while we're on our ride to mitigate or handle fatigue? Um, I guess if you can make your ride more enjoyable, it's very interesting. There is a lot of research showing that if what you do is enjoyable, even if it's mentally demanding, it's less fatiguing than the same level of mental demand if you do something that you don't enjoy. So one thing could be if you can, obviously sometimes you can't because, but for example, try to avoid boring motorway miles. You know, if you can get out of the motorway and do uh, twisties and, you know, you may actually think, oh, that's more mentally demanding. But because you actually enjoy it and it's not it's not boring, it's actually less uh, mentally fatiguing than the motorway boring ride. But if you can, making things more enjoyable, um, that also means, for example, uh, having proper gear. So if you are hot and sticky or, or too cold, um, that will have some direct effects on your brain, making you less uh, capable of reacting quickly. This seems a little bit like it's all in our head, excuse the pun, but it seems like so if we're on a boring ride, then this this adenosine yeah. develops and isolates or, or impairs our, our uh, cells' abilities to communicate. But if we stimulate it, then that improves that. That's why I guess it does away with that chemical. But then if we're overstimulated, then it brings that chemical back in. This is a tough one to manage. Yeah, but... Um... As you say, it's all in your head, but what's in your head is your brain, <laughs> which is made which is made of neurons. There's no kind of ghost or anything, you know. So actually, the difference between the let's say the boring ride and the exciting twisty one is you, you may actually produce the same level of adenosine. The problem is kind of the areas that are activated differ somehow. So when you mm. when you are in a in a we call it in a negative uh, we say negative affect we call it so when you are uh, bored or um, you don't like to do something the areas suppose, not all of them but some of the areas that are activated are different from the brain areas that you activate when you do something you enjoy so actually it it's it's uh, if you do all these things, you know, you, I think you, you're going to have a much better and safer ride. And not even when people know about these things, <laughs> they don't do it. I guess hopefully through your uh, program, people will take care of themselves a little bit more. So to be clear with this, um, the, the only way for our, our brain to sort of get its rest and, and rejuvenate itself is through sleep. That's, that's the real cure for it. But does stopping, you know, if we stop along the side of the road and we decide to go for a walk or something like that, that gives us some sort of reprieve for the mental fatigue then as well? Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So what about overall sleep then? Does the, the type or the amount of sleep that we have on a trip, because, you know, sometimes you'll camp in a spot, maybe you won't get a good sleep. Does that affect us during our ride the next day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, getting enough sleep is, is essential. Even a um, few hours uh, less than the recommended seven or eight hours a day of sleep may affect um your uh, ability, both um, physically, but especially mentally the day after. So it's essential um, to have a good night's sleep. And of course, you know, during a, a trip, sometimes it's not 
possible. But I have some, you know, very simple tips. Again, obviously the, the comfort is, uh, is very important. And people tend to, I think most of the time, to be more on the hot than on the cold side. Actually, a, a, a relatively colder room, uh, obviously dark and quiet as much as possible, is, is actually better than a, than a hot one in order to get a good sleep. Um, also try, although again, doing the expedition is not uh, always possible, but try to get a, a, into a routine. So try to go to bed at the same time and waking up at the same time um, every day as much as possible. Also very, very important is to, especially these days with the technology, uh, to avoid uh, using, for example, the iPhone or the, you know, the, the iPad or even, you know, just computers for at least an hour before you go to bed, because that can really screw up your melatonin and, and the way your brain kind of um, sets itself up uh, on the light and dark cycle. Um, also avoid uh, caffeine. The, again, depends on, on the person, so it's, it's good to... Um, experiment before you go but most people you know try to avoid for at least three or four hours any caffeine before you go to sleep even more if you can and of course maybe try not to consume too much water just before you go to bed uh, because yeah it may wake you up so waking up in the middle of the night that uh, can make our sleep uh, less effective well yes because you you interrupt the what we call REM sleep um the most restorative part of your sleep of those seven to eight hours, only a few hours are in this state. Let's call it deep sleep, if you like. And that's where your brain kind of really recovers. So if you wake up in the middle of that, that's going to reduce, you know, you may just be awake for a few minutes. So you, you, won't, you won't think, oh, that's not really affect my total sleep time, but it will affect your deep sleep time, if you like. So it's important to try to avoid um, yeah, waking up in the middle of the night if you can. You just mentioned seven or eight hours. And my question, I think this is really important, is how many hours do we need? And do we all need the same number of hours for sleep? No, uh, no, no. There, there is there is variability. Uh, some people may need as, you know, as little as six and some people need more than eight. But seven to eight is the uh, kind of most people are in that bracket. Put it this way. I mean, if you sleep, and again, it depends how much sleep you need. But if you constantly sleep less than six hours, yeah, I mean, even if you are kind of one of those that don't need much sleep, you're going to be affected. Because even if it's kind of, we call it in when we do research, chronic sleep restriction, even if you reduce your sleeping only a few hours but every night, the effect becomes cumulative. So you may get really, uh, your performance might not be impaired the day after or two days after. But if for a week you sleep only, let's say, four hours a, a night, after a few days, you will really uh, develop, start to develop uh, uh, problems with your riding and with your um, ability to react, et cetera, et cetera, because sleep restriction has a cumulative effect. Sam, thank you very much. Always a pleasure to have you on. You're welcome. And that was Samuel Marcora. He is the Director of Research at Kent University in the UK. You can find out more about Sam. Probably the easiest way is to drop by our website and look at the show notes because the link is rather long. Or, of course, you can just look him up on Google. And since we're in the UK already, we may as well stay and talk with Nick Sanders. Because Nick has ridden around the world seven times. He's motorcycled the length of the Americas eight times. And he holds a record for a double transit from Alaska to Ushuaia and back in 46 days. Nick has to be the world's most recognized long-distance rider for motorcycling. Nick, great to have you back on Adventure Rider Radio. 
Jim, always a pleasure. Well, we're talking about making our rides more enjoyable and safer, not doing record-setting trips like you do, because that's a rarity for people. Um, But what we're looking for is some methods that you've learned over the years and all the riding you've done that maybe we can apply in our everyday riding to make our rides safer and more fun. What's the first thing that pops into your head when we talk about this? Okay, Jim, well, let's do top of the head kind of, you know, shooting from the hip experience. I think, first of all, let's look at the body. Let's look at how we treat our bodies. Uh, I mean, I'm no saint in this discipline, but I like to look at my weight. Weight is very important. And, you know, sadly, I see a lot of bikers and they're quite overweight. And and, and that's fine. That, that's the way it is. But if we're discussing, you know, how they can um, look at their fatigue and, and be less fatigued and, and therefore less stressed, um, you know, you carry around sometimes several stone more than they should do. And, and harsh though it is to say, if they look at their health, look at their weight a bit, they'll find that they can ride their bikes in a kind of leaner, meaner manner. Um, I think that uh, health is essential to not stressing the body. The more you stress the body, the tired you're going to be. It's all connected. So look at your diet. Um, just look at your general view of yourself, your body, your perception of how you are in life, and you'll suddenly find you can get on your bike um, um, increasingly more efficiently. Efficiency really does lead to a less stressed environment on the bike. And of course, therefore, that's, um, that's going to make you less tired. What about bike and equipment then? Um, well, same thing, really. Look, at the end of the day, in the way that the body can carry too much weight, which stresses the body and tires the body, therefore, it's the same with the bike. Um, okay, the big bikes can carry a lot of stuff, but you've still got to handle it. You've still got to, you know, pull it around the corners or whatever. Depends on what bike you're on. If you're on the Harleys and so forth and you like your long straight roads, you know, perhaps not so bad. But when you're on the twisties and you're in the hills and so forth and the mountains, you've got this great big center of gravity on the top of your bike or on the side of your bike which is pulling you around and you've got to shift and turn and shove and push and you know it's all calories it all takes time and it all takes effort and I think at the end of the day too much effort equals inefficiency equals tiredness so big body big bike slim it all down any other tips you have it's a mental approach, isn't it, really? I think these are two big things. So you carry less on your bike, for example. It's like looking at what you don't need. Come on, guys. It's a little bit like comfort eating, comfort packing. I've seen it so many times, Jim. <laughs> um, you really do have to kind of watch what you pack. You don't need those extra pair of socks even. Um, it's not so much that you're carrying weight. That's one part of it. But look at what you're having to do. Having to unpack at the end of the day, you're having to pack at the beginning of the next day. It's all to do with having too much stuff. You know, there's a bit of a, uh, there's a, bit of a paradox here, if you don't mind my saying and I'm going to sound a little controversial here, but uh, the same, you know, we bikers, we like to think that we can cut and run, we can leave the house, you know, leave family and friends, and we're on our road, you know, on our, our, on, on our adventure and so forth, taking the minimum, you know, giving up on all, all the life stuff that we've accumulated. That's what we like to do. And yet, what do you do? You pack your bike to the gunnels. You take stuff you don't need. Three pairs of shoes, four pairs of trousers, T-shirts you're never going to take out in the first place. You've got to look at the overall um, the overall f- a feel of the whole thing. You know, um, and it's not the weight. It's the, it's the consciousness behind it. Look at when you pack. Ask yourself several times, do I really need to take it? And if you don't, don't take it. Nick, thank you very much. 
It's a great pleasure, Jim. Thank you very much indeed. That was long-distance adventure rider Nick Sanders. And you can find out more about Nick by visiting his website, nicksanders.com. Carrie Doherty from Motorbird Adventures is a California motorcyclist safety program instructor. But what she's best known for are the multi-day trips that she does. She does motorcycle tours for women by a woman. And Carrie guides these trips in California. In February 2018, she got a 10-day dual sport Baja tour, um, desert to mountains. Uh, so you, you're all over the place. You relax in some hot springs and riding in sand, dirt, rocks, stones. And she says they're going to have an experience with baby gray whales and protected lagoons. That sounds very cool. Come March, she's got seven days in Belize, waterfalls, unpaved roads, ancient mines, ruins, jungles. I want to go on this. Stunning beaches. A lot of the roads they're going to be taking are unpaved. So it's dual sport riding. Um, April 2018, she got a six-day Baja tour. You got to check out her website, www.motobirdadventures. And the nice thing is, Carrie has built this out of a total passion for motorcycling. She's taking you to see the best or experience the best places that she knows from her personal experience. So Hey, if you're not a woman and you happen to know somebody, just spread the word on this. Motobird Adventures, www.motobirdadventures.com. And of course, make sure when you're talking to Carrie, let her know that you heard her here on Adventure Rider Radio so that she knows that's working for her. But um, that sounds like a very cool thing. So spread that around to the women that you, women riders that you know. Now, we also have IMS products. IMS has a full line of adventure motorcycle pegs. I've told you about them before. If this is your first time listening, I'll tell you, I run with them on my bike. um, So I know from experience... And I mean, that's one of the great things about what we do here at Adventure Rider Radio. We, we don't put companies on that um, we don't believe in the products as well. So IMS products, fantastic foot pegs. I mounted them on my bike the first day I rode out. I'm not talking a day. I'm talking when I stood up on the pegs as I rode out our dirt driveway, instantly I could feel the difference with these pegs. And to me, that is everything. They are made in the USA. They're top quality products. And they're warrantied for life. And to me, it, those few things ought to sell you on them alone. As alone. Um, don't go and look at cheap imitation foot pegs because I've talked about them before. Design is everything in these. These things have a, a watershed, what they call watershed design in them. And what that is, that the, the peg is designed in a way to drop the mud away so it doesn't jam in the peg and stick there. That's just one of the things, um, not to mention the extra width is added in places where it's supposed to be. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, inquiring, buying, anything, make sure you drop our name. Let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, we still have a couple of people to talk to, but really what it comes down to with riding the motorcycle, one of the biggest things is managing your fatigue because we get, as Sam Markara said, we get physically tired and mentally tired. So some things you can do to help deal with that, um, one of them is riding better roads. You know, I think Sam had mentioned that as well about not riding the boring highway. Pick a road that's curvy, pick something interesting. Definitely wearing the proper gear because I know even a helmet that is loud, if you're not wearing earplugs, there's another one, earplugs 
earplugs. Uh, if you're not wearing earplugs, you tend to get mentally fatigued because you're listening to that buzzing and the whirring of the wind and that wears you down. So it's another thing. And all these little things are going to add up to something big in the long run. A lot of people plan their trip, but what you should be also thinking about is plan your stops. So if you plan your stops, instead of just making it a roadside pullout where you've got a garbage can to stare at, try and plan your stops where it's something interesting going on. You know, some maybe a little hike that you can do or at least a view, but something that's uh, of interest. Now, all these things affect us as motorcycle riders in general. It doesn't matter if you're just riding around on your cruiser and going a short distance or whether you're going a long distance or whether you're running a race. And really, when it gets into running races, that's when you have to be really careful with your energy and how you manage fatigue. Christophe Barrier-Varjou is an endurance rider. He's a motocross champion. He's been in the Dakar Rally four times in Africa and South America. And the Dakar, as you know, is the toughest, most dangerous motorsport race in the world. Christoph was the subject in the award-winning film called Dream Racer, and we had him on here quite some time ago talking about that film and his bid at running the Dakar and what it was like. So we contacted Christoph and asked him if he could share some tips from his riding experience and racing experience that would apply to everyday riding. Christoph, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Jim, thanks thanks for having me. Well, we're talking about making our riding more comfortable, better for everyday riding. And a lot of that is managing fatigue. And I certainly know you have to do it because that's a huge thing in the Dakar is just the endurance because it's an endurance race. So what tips do you have for us as far as managing our fatigue and making riding more enjoyable on an everyday basis? Well, the, uh, the the first thing in, in riding a motorbike, and this is something that not a lot of people uh, actually do, and I, I don't even during the Dakar, I don't see a lot of people doing, which is, you know, actually something very simple, which is stretching before uh, you get on a motorbike and then stretching when you finish the day to release all the lactic acid inside your muscles. So that's in itself will help um, fatigue for the next the next day. Then you deal into uh, into how you ride a motorbike and, um, you know, the body position and, and how you actually uh, sit on a bike. How do you stand up? Whether you put the, the weight on the pegs, whether you how do you hold the handlebar and all of this has to deal with uh, achieving a proper balance, where, which is a position where you do not use any muscles apart from standing up on a motorbike and, and standing up in a natural position or sitting down in a natural position where you do not use any muscle. And um, one of the biggest muscle group that you have in your body is your abs. And your abs are actually controlling how you move the bike underneath you. And, you know, it's a lot easier to control a motorbike with your abs than it is to try to hold it uh, really hard with your hands and your arms and your shoulder. And the problem with that is that when you do this, you get tired very, very quickly. Uh, Not only during the ride, but also, you know, the next day and the following day and so on and so forth. So the uh, the important part is is achieving that balance. Now that balance is fine when you sit still and um, or you stand up still and the bike is not moving. That's pretty straightforward. But when the bike is actually on dirt and going up, going down, hitting rocks, ruts, sand, and all of that, that bike is constantly moving underneath you. And the way to achieve that perfect balance is to preempt every bit of movement that the bike is going to do and move ahead of time. So for example, if you accelerate, the bike wants to go from underneath you, the bike wants to go forward. 
and people have a tendency to you know hold on to the handlebar while the bike is pulling them you know pushing them toward the front and therefore you you know you hang on tight with your with your arms and your hands and then you start having problems with your hands so the way to avoid that is that as the bike moves forward you slightly move your body forward as well to again not use any muscle in your hand or in your arms so you maintain that perfect balance uh, and the same is true when uh, for example if you go down a hill um, the bike you hitting the brakes the bike is slowing down to, underneath you and your body wants to go you know ahead of the bike and so again you hang on to the bike and you can use your arms to hold on or you can use your legs to hold to the uh, to the tank or you can slightly tilt your toes inward and have the natural position of um, the natural movement of the legs actually squeezing the tank for you so you don't have to actually squeeze the tank using strength and your uh, inner leg muscle so there's a lot of techniques to try to avoid uh, using uh, any muscles uh, while riding the bike which then helps in uh, in managing fatigue during 7 10 12 14 hours a day ride and um, all of that takes a long time to uh, to practice but uh, i guess you have to be aware of what you need to do in order to uh, isolate all the things that you uh, you have to to work on to um, to reduce the effort on riding a bike so it's staying loose on the bike you know you're not you're not clamped onto the handlebars you're staying balanced and loose and that's right the handlebar is purely used to you know operate the accelerator and the brake and the clutch you don't turn you don't use your strength to turn the handlebar or to hang on to the bike all of this is done through balance and a proper position on the motorbike that way you can maintain you know a long day of riding in the dirt without being tired However, you got to be careful when you enter a rough section full of rocks and holes, you have a tendency to cramp on the bike just in case. And that's where the experience comes in. If you are loose on the bike and you don't have that experience, then the, you will lose the bike underneath you very quickly. But if you are experienced in, in preempting what the bike is going to do and reacting very quickly, you don't have to, uh, to cramp on the bike. So it's, it takes years and years to practice. But you know the basic stuff on, on having the perfect position, uh, moving your body forward, backward, and, um, and keeping that balance uh, neutral on the bike is key to everything. So you know if you're doing it right by when you accelerate, if you're, if you're not holding onto the bars and holding yourself up, same as going down a hill, if you're not pushing back on the bars and holding yourself up, then you must be getting close to, uh, to learning how to do that. That's right. Well, one of the tests is you ride sitting down to start with, and you accelerate in second or third gear, and you lift your left hand off your handlebar, maybe five or five or ten centimeters just above the handlebar, and watch what your body is doing. And that hand should stay just above that handlebar while you accelerate and brake, accelerate and brake, go up the hill, down the hill. That hand should not move. Uh, and then you realize that suddenly you are no longer using your arm to hold you on the motorbike, you're using your abs. Then you repeat that exercise while you're standing up. And remember during the film Dream Racer, I had an injury on my left arm where I had you know, no more triceps on, on the left arm. And I was able to ride four days in the sand dunes. And without having the proper technique, there is no way I could have done that uh, because I pretty much did not use my left arm at all for four days. And and that's how you practice. You know, you, you just don't spend the day just riding, but just try little tricks. Uh, lift your hand up, your left arm, your left hand just above the bars and accelerate, brake. And that hand should stay above the bar and uh, not move forward or backward. 
the um, the, the other uh, tip is uh, once you um, if you enter a section that is a bit rough, uh, people have a tendency to hold their breath uh, because they get scared. They go, <gasps> you know, like this, and and by holding your breath, you block your air intake and you raise your heartbeat because there's less oxygen getting into your body. So the breathing is very is also very key to uh, to reducing fatigue on the motorbike. Make sure you breathe. You know, slowly and and long deep breath for you know breathing in and breathing out all the time and um, and try to control your heart rate that way as well. Well, I'm sure there's so much more we could talk about, but for now, thanks very much, Christoph. Thanks very much, Jim. You can find out more about Christoph and the movie Dream Racer by visiting dreamracer.tv. Well, we haven't quite covered it just yet. We talked about riding. We talked about the things we can do as riders to mitigate fatigue and make the riding more exciting and keep us alert and enjoyable. But what about the pillion? What about your passenger? The person sitting on the back of your bike It's difficult for the pillion as well. And surely Hardy Ricks is a pillion with a lot of miles under her belt. She's traveled to many different places in the world on the back of a motorcycle with her husband, Brian. And both Brian and Shirley are also on our ARR Raw episode episodes. If you haven't heard that already, you'll want to drop by our website and check that out. It's a separate show. It's Roundtable Discussions. Both Shirley and Brian ride around on their BMW and they've just completed their third trip, which was into Russia and Mongolia. I thought we needed the perspective of a pillion. So I asked Shirley to come on and talk to us about what she does to keep herself alert and to fight off fatigue and boredom on the back of a motorcycle. Shirley, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks, Jim. Good to speak to you again. Now, I know you've spent a lot of time riding as a pillion because that's what you do. You're not a licensed rider. You only ride on the back of Brian's bike. How many miles do you think you've covered as a pillion? Uh, well, we worked out um, that we've done about 170,000 kilometers outside of Australia. And around Australia, I don't know, lots. Probably the same again, maybe, or even more than that. So, uh, yeah, I've spent a lot of time on the back of the bike. All care, no responsibility. <laughs> I don't know about no responsibility because I, <laughs> I understand it as you handle the navigation. Uh, no, not really. I can't read a map. <laughs> so, to, to trust me with navigation. No, I'm sorry. I'm all... <laughs> I got that wrong. No, you didn't handle navigation. You're supposed to point out obstacles. There was something I thought you were doing on the back. <laughs> oh, no, I do point out obstacles. And, uh, and But if I'm doing directions, I actually have to tap Brian on the shoulder of the way we should go because being a left-hander, I tend to point in the left direction and say, go right. <laughs> so he doesn't know which way he has to go. So we have a, a tap, tap and direct situation set up. Well, that's, that's important to work out. But so let's start off with, because we're, we're dealing with fatigue on motorcycles. Now we're going to talk about fatigue as a pillion. So clearly you do get tired on the back. Absolutely, I do. We try and go by the rule which um, probably all people in charge of a vehicle should do and that's have a break every couple of hours and get off and just stretch and walk around, maybe have a, a drink or you know, something to eat, but just have a little break off the bike. But um, even, even doing that, and sometimes that's not possible, I can get very tired on the back and uh, have been known to fall asleep on more than one occasion. Okay, so hang on here. First, I was going to ask, you know, what do you do when you get tired? But then you've answered it. You said you actually fall asleep. Now, it, it's clearly the design of your bike in particular be, that allows you to do that because not every bike you could fall asleep on is a pillion. I, I'm not even sure on any bike how safe it would be. What happens when you fall asleep? You just fall forward into Brian? I do actually fall forward, which is good. And I don't, so I don't sort of fall on either, go either side as if I'm about to fall off the back of the bike. 
But when I say asleep, I'm not sound asleep for half an hour, but um, I do actually nod off enough. We we listen to music on the bike, Jim, and we have a CD of Joe Cocker's greatest hits. And on one very long trip, we played this a few times. And I said to Brian, that CD is just hopeless because it doesn't have keep your hat on. And he said, yes, it does. So I had actually slept every time that song was on and I'd never heard it. So that was a concern to me because I'd actually been asleep for three or four minutes at, on a regular basis. So. I'm not sure I would ever think of Joe Cocker as a stay awake CD. I, I, this is... Oh, no. We sing along. It's a very sad life that we lead. It's, it's different <laughs> yeah, to other people's. I feel sorry for you. <laughs> so, so you're falling asleep for a few minutes and you think that's safe. That's fine with you. Well, because I only just, I do lean forward. If I started to lean either side, it would be a worry, but I actually can't prevent it. I just get that weary. A lot of people find the same thing. If you're in a car and you're the passenger and you stop and you have lunch and in the afternoon, the sun's coming through the windscreen, it's really hard to stay awake and the pinion will often doze off. And sometimes I think that's what's happening to me that we've had, we have, we've stopped, we've had lunch, I'm in the sun, so I start to doze off. But um, I've never felt that it was dangerous. It's probably not very good. It's not a good thing, but I can't help it. That's just, when I get tired, I just doze off and there's not much I can do about it. I'm thinking you might want a big piece of Velcro on the front of your suit in the back of Brian's. <laughs> <laughs> or a big strap and just strap me to exactly. Brian's, like so, a big safety belt. <laughs> Do you have any methods or, or uh, tricks that you use so that you at least attempt to not fall asleep or not get tired? Of course. Um, I stretch my legs. I drop my legs down off the pegs and swing them out and uh, quite straight so I can get the blood flowing to my feet and just jiggle them around a bit. Um, we often carry um, jelly lollies, like snakes and jelly babies, things like that, inside the, um, the strap on the back of the camelback. So if I feel I need a sugar fix, I can have that. And I also feed those to Brian. When he needs a sugar fix, I can give him lollies from the backpack. If we're going through a town, um, Brian will stand up and then when he's stretched, I'll stand up and stretch my legs that way. And um, I do talk to myself but not too loudly because the intercom system is voice activated. Uh, I sing, and again, not too loudly because it is voice activated. And we talk to each other through the intercom system. If we're on a long and boring road, we'll discuss all sorts of things that we need to deal with when we get to our destination. That helps keep me awake. And sometimes we just need to stop. I just need to get off the bike and stretch. And so does Brian, just to have a break. Yeah, I think communications are a huge asset for traveling, even if you're not on the same bike. Any other tips you have for us? Look, I think you've just got to be sensible about stopping and having breaks because we have got the most comfortable bike and while I need to stretch my legs, I don't get um, I don't get knee cramp or some of the problems that I know if you're on a, a like a little sports bike and you're very cramped. But you just need to, to get off the bike and have it. Even if it's only two or three minutes, we don't need to stop for a long time. But just, just to stop, get off, stretch, have a drink of water from the camelback, maybe have something to eat, have a chat, get back on the bike and go. It's a, it's a good thing to do because we have a tank that gives us 600 kilometres range so we don't have to stop every couple of hours to get fuel. That's a, a thing that I hear a lot of people say with smaller tanks. They say they, they don't mind it because it gives them the opportunity to stop and stretch their legs while they're refueling. Exactly, exactly. Whereas we just we can just keep going and you have to be careful to make sure even if you're feeling really good, you do need to stop because your concentration levels go down and 
you just need to, you know, you know what it's like. You need to have your wits about you all the time on a motorcycle because a lot of the car drivers are out there with the intent to make sure your day is a miserable one. <laughs> so that's great, Shirley. Thanks very much for your input. No worries, Jim. Talk to you again soon. And that was a Pillion's point of view from Shirley Hardy Ricks. And you can find out more about her and Brian's adventures at their website, aussiesoverland.com.au. I just want to remind you this episode was made possible for you today in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com, Green Chili Adventure Gear at www.greenchiliadv.com, and Moto Breeze Chain Oilers, www.motobreeze.com. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. Hey, if you like what we're doing and you want to help the show out, it's built on a model of some advertising and listener support from people like yourself to make the whole thing work. And we need some more support uh, at our patron site. So drop by the website, www.adventureriderradio.com, if you're up to it, and click on the support button. There's a couple of different ways you can do it. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more is going to get you mentioned on our Raw show. And if you click on the, the patron button that'll take you to our patron website, you can see what we're, what we're talking about there. And I, I'd really encourage you to drop by and have a look because um, we need more of that monthly um, support that we get through Patreon, and we're, we're not getting a whole ton of it right now. So we would love it if you would consider dropping by and looking at what we have to offer. And if you don't want to, that's fine too. All of our episodes are here downloadable for free and anywhere you get podcasts for that matter. Don't forget about our other show, ARR Raw. That is our monthly roundtable talks. We have a lot of fun with that and we get a lot of great feedback on that show as well. Drop by the website and look at that as well. Just click on the Raw button. There's also some new things going on to the website. I encourage you to drop by and look, see if you can find what we're doing here it shouldn't be very hard and uh, when you do drop me a line send something on facebook or uh, social media or email the contact form on the website my name is jim martin this is adventure rider radio thanks for listening see you next week i'm bonnie glades and you're listening to adventure rider radio